Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, welcome to The Partition, home of kinky wellness, the ultimate destination to explore the integral connection between kinky wellness and your personal development. I'm your host and kinky wellness coach, Dana Shergill, and each Monday, I bring on a special guest to dive into specific aspects of kinky wellness. From unconventional practices to thought-provoking conversations, I'm here to break down barriers and redefine the boundaries of wellness and pleasure. Don't forget to join me for my solo shows on Wednesdays, where I explore even further into the multifaceted layers of kinky wellness. So let's strip away the shame and taboo together and have an open conversation about it. Hey, and welcome back. I am very excited for today's episode because our Kinky Wellness Summit co-host, Ray, is back. And not only are we going to get to know her a bit better, we're also spilling the tea on what to expect by attending the Kinky Wellness Summit in February. So without skipping a beat, let's get right into it and welcome back, Ray. Hello, Ray. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm back. Yes, you're back. back. And I'm excited because we're going to talk a little bit more about you since you are co-hosting the Kinky Wellness Summit with the partition. And I'm super excited. So I guess we could start with a little bit about like, how did you get into this field? Yeah, I have not worked on my elevator pitch. I have a long winding story that I haven't figured out how to cut down. Um, But I'm going to start with when I was 16 years old. No. Uh, so I've always been interested in sex as an academic topic. And I always liked cracking dirty jokes pretty much from as soon as I hit puberty and got some freedom. I was that kid who in the 10th grade, we have something called the literacy test here in Canada, where they just have to make sure that you're literate. It's a standardized test to see where your school places, but nobody tells us that. And I was in gifted English. So I was honestly flabbergasted that they were making me test on literacy when I was in like 10th grade AP English. That's the equivalent. So there's one question on the test that says something like, what's a goal that you have for when you're older? And I was just like, so um, offended that they made me take this test that I wrote when I grow up, I want to be a dominatrix because you get to beat up your clients, but you don't have to have sex with them. That is the kind of teenager I was. I didn't realize that the teachers had to have a whole meeting to figure out if I should fail based off of the inappropriateness of the answer. And when I heard that, I was like, well, I spelled everything correctly and I was grammatically correct as well. So why would they fail me? And that's why I passed because I, you know, that's wild. Just sorry to even just as that even even as you're saying it, you're right. Like you got the words out. The grammar is correct. It's just, they didn't like the answer. So they were going to fail you on it. Even the possibility. I was clearly being a troll and they felt like they had to have a meeting to figure out if I should fail because it was an inappropriate statement. And I'm like, okay, so that's me as a teenager in a nutshell, just to give you an idea. That being said, I was not like a super sexually active teen. I just was really interested in sex and sexuality, but nobody tells you as a teenager that you can become a sex educator or work in human sex, like sexuality or do sex therapy or anything like that. So I went to school for fashion design. And while I was doing my bachelor, I discovered latex fetish wear. I ended up making clothing out of latex before ever wearing any myself. But for me at the age of like 18, 19, I was like, this is the perfect material because I'll get to work with the kinds of people I want to work with. Sex workers, dominatrixes, people who are kinky, without necessarily having to do any of it myself. I don't necessarily need to be a sex worker to work with sex workers. That was always another thing I was very interested in. So I graduated university, tried to start a latex fetish for a company, ended up in Germany for an internship. And over time, oh yeah, it was great. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. 
Yeah. And also I was making most of my money as a nanny for families with kids with autism. So you know how it is when you're like trying to do something in a niche industry where like the babysitting money was increasing, but the latex money wasn't. And it was such a struggle. So I decided to give up on all of that and find a real job, a nine to five, one where I would have free time. So I went to go work for a Jewish youth group. And I was doing that for a few years. And if anyone listens to old episodes of my podcast, um, Sex News with Ray, I don't record anymore, but I talk about those experiences extensively and how I interview some of the teens that I worked with who then graduated to talk about hookup culture. So while I'm working with this Jewish youth group, I'm in a community where I'm not allowed to talk about sex with them, but I get to hear everything that these teenagers are saying about sex, right? It's not good. So despite the fact that our curriculum has been updated to be like, yes means yes, and consent focused and talk about healthy relationships, I was still hearing stories of girls feeling pressured to give blowjobs to make boys like them. Or they were still saying, well, it's no means no, with no concept of what that means. And there, there was no adult intervention around the toxic messages in hookup culture. And so that was happening. And I should add that this whole time before this, I had also been working part-time at Oasis Aqua Lounge, a swingers and lifestyle club. So I had aqua flirted, I was running an event and I was lying to my job and once a month running gangbang night at the sex club. So I would hear all these teenagers talk about these horrible experiences, go to work at Oasis once a month, feel first of all, super rejuvenated to be in such a sex positive space. That was all about like women's pleasure and women getting to explore their desires through multiple men and like making a safe space there and getting to have conversations about consent and healthy connection and healthy exploration and pleasure. And I, I got fed up. I was like, I can't listen to this anymore. I think I want to be a sex educator. So I quit my job and was supposed to go work at Oasis full time. And then the pandemic hit. And it was perfect because I was working eight hours running virtual events for Oasis, getting to feed that part of my soul. And I went back to school, got certified as a sex educator and started teaching and uh, was teaching while I was earning that certification, obviously. And uh, yeah, so that's that's how I got into all of this, like very much coming out of like an interest in academic sex, always wanting to work in sex positive communities, being part of these sex positive communities, but wanting to create a change in mm -hmm. in our world, like genuinely, like I wanted to create change to the best of my ability. I don't think that I'm going to become that person. Everyone's like, you're going to be the next Dr. Ruth. And while that sounds great and I would love that, I don't know if that's my future. I believe in like one-on-one -on -one interactions creating change. That's really all you have control over. So if I can have one conversation that helps someone feel more connected to themselves and connected to their 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 best, most pleasurable life, I feel like I've succeeded. Um, and coaching came out of that, right? So I'm not always teaching rooms full of people. That work is a little bit like it's though like teaching jobs are not consistent. So coaching was a way to sort of help with that, um, helping people live their best lives, find sex positivity for themselves, help people be in relationship better, and also help pay the bills in between getting to teach, you know, a bunch of different age groups. So that's how I got into this. Well, that's fantastic. I've got like two questions here. One, how'd you know about dominatrix when you were 16? Did you just see it on pornography or your friends kind of like um, still talking about that? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to assume it's because I grew up in the age of the internet. Yeah, I feel like, like I, didn't, I knew what the word was, but I didn't really know what it was. Like I, there was the aesthetic of it. Like it was very goth. Like a lot of people think that teenagers and kids know a lot of things because they know the words, but just because you know, the word doesn't mean that you know what's going on. So oh, absolutely, I, like, yeah. So I knew generally what a dominatrix was, but I didn't know the realities or the ins and outs. I just knew the stereotypes. I mean, CSI has that super stigmatizing episode with the, 
with a dominatrix and and I was allowed to watch CSI as a teenager so there's like a lot of cultural references to sex work without actually like and it's not a realistic portrayal so I would say I probably absorbed it from the culture at large yeah I think that's a really good point to say because I even say that too like I watched BDSM and things like that but until I actually was introduced to it with a person that was already in the scene like to talk about it in person it's like I didn't know anything like I couldn't even pretend to know everything and so I think even just saying like like, you put on a collar and you wear black and you and you just slap someone that's that's BDSM right yeah and just like nothing else that's it it's very surface level when you learn it just through a screen well that's the thing the teenagers that I was around were making like some of them who were more like uh in tune with the cultural know-how would say things like choke me daddy jokingly this is 10th graders. And we all know that it starts as a phrase and then it becomes something that they try without the knowledge or the know-how because they're not like absorbing things through the culture is not, is not learning. It's not learning how to do things safely. So I, I was just very concerned about the fact that like I was hearing phrases like choke me daddy without being able to talk about the fact that like, it's okay if you want to explore aggression and and like power dynamics, but let's talk about how this is not beginner kink and that's not safe and that's not, and we need to make sure that consent is part of that and you can actually damage your body. So, you know, and talk about how people should be asking before they choke you and you should be consenting before they choke you. But I wasn't allowed to talk about any of that. I just heard, choke me daddy. And it was like, cool. By the way, I later found out one of the, so on my podcast, I interviewed that particular teen who I especially heard say that. And this is a teen who didn't even know about masturbation until university. Oh, wow. So they're saying choke me, daddy, and can't even find their own clip. Well, that's interesting. I was going to say, did you have to like really separate yourself from Oasis and what you were doing full time or it just nothing really came up? No questions were asked. So you didn't have to explain anything. I explicitly lied. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just lied. Yeah. I lied. I pretended I couldn't do anything public about it and it had to stay a secret, which by the way, sex clubs are great for that. Like there's lots of people who are attending those places that are like, I'm a teacher. I'm a doctor. I'm a firefighter. I'm a police officer. I don't want people to know about my job and I cannot be public about this. And so I don't include my face in any photos on my accounts that I post this. I have a fake name while I'm here and they have fake jobs. I know lots of people who, who do that because they can't be outed. They, they they can't, it's not worth the rest of their personal lives. And that's very normal and very accepted. And it's, it's also one of the biggest challenges that we have. Like, I do know that I read a story about, it was a public school teacher and she was on vacation and she posted a photo of her in a bikini on vacation and she got reprimanded. And I think when it comes to that type of stuff, it goes a little too far. Like that's too far. Like that's a vacation. Oh, well, you know, that's a teacher who's working with children. You're not allowed to be an adult who does adult things. You can't be, there can be no opportunity for a teen to sexualize or objectify you because then they won't respect you. Instead of teaching young people to respect people, no matter what they're posting online and to respect your teacher, even if like, we need to teach young people that just because you want to fuck someone doesn't mean you don't respect them. Mm-hmm. Instead, we say, oh, well, you didn't wear a turtleneck to the beach or like you posted it and someone saw it and passed it around. Therefore, you're in trouble for living your life as an adult. Yeah. And it just really puts a box on like your freedom of expression and just freedom of what you can do, because it is like this culture is structured that way everywhere like it to some degree like some are way more stricter than others but we still have those limitations yeah totally and the second one is your coaching I what I find in coaching is that people need coaches in just their day-to-day life because we all need encouragement we all need guidance and things like this but it's also working with people who are ready to take that first step they just don't particularly know how and that's what I love most about it is just like 
you can pre-qualify people because it is hard work, especially in sexual health and wellness. It's not easy. It's one of the hardest ones to take control over. And because of the vulnerability that's involved with it. Oh yeah. And there are certain people where they come to me and I'm like, actually you need therapy. You don't need me. You need a therapist. I'm a skills coach, right? Like it comes out of the work I was doing with kids with autism. How do you take a social skill, break it down into its like digestible parts and then teach that skill to someone. So if you can do that to kids, you can do that with if you can, I was doing leadership coaching with the teenagers as well that I worked with. So like, if you can, uh, like, I mean, the sex education and this, like being able to like have that knowledge base is really great, but being able to break down something into a basic skill, that's different than therapy. That's different than, than what other people are doing. And honestly, I really like, I, I really like being able to help my clients figure something out for themselves because I was able to be like, try it like this use this formula. I actually had one of my clients recently tell me that based off of how much they enjoyed the social scripts I was giving them, that they think they might have autism and they might pursue a diagnosis specifically because they're like, wow, I thought it was just the ADHD, but like knowing that like, all you need to do is follow this like one instruction that took the anxiety out of it for me. And it wasn't like they said word for word, what I gave them, they followed a formula that I gave them in, in terms of like forming a sentence to approach people. Mm-hmm. And they found just having that formula made it easy for them to be like, okay, we're fine. I can do this. It's not about me anymore. Like, I don't need to worry about, am I saying the right thing or the wrong thing? And that's where a lot of the coaching can come into, right? Like, it's not about, am I right? Am I wrong? It's about trying something different, seeing how it works for you. But how do you know what that different is? That's where the coaching comes in. Yeah. And it's it's good to say, like, to see even those type of things of how it can, when it get into coaching, all the other different avenues that it kind of helps in other people's lives. And it's super rewarding. Like, it's just so good. Yeah. I love, I honestly love coaching. A friend got me into it. My other business partner that I do my like, uh, virtual workshops with Marissa, she was saying something like, you have to get into coaching. It's how sex educators pay their bills in between, in between teaching. And I was like, really? are you sure? So I got into it and I love it. I was like, oh yeah, I've been coaching basically in small ways throughout my entire career and didn't realize it because that's another thing they don't tell you about in school is like, they say go into management. They don't say coaching is an option, right? And I think that when we try and make high schoolers decide what they're going to do for the rest of their life without explaining that they're allowed to change their mind and that it's not about picking that one thing and sticking with it. It's about picking that one thing and seeing where it takes you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, metaphor for coaching, right? You're going to pick one thing. You're going to see where it takes you. You're going to see what you learn along the way. You're going to see what you learn about yourself and how that changes who you are and how you interact with everyone in the world around you. And that's, that's where the growth comes from. Well, you could, yeah. And I love that because you can take that same application even to kinky wellness and things like that. You can just take something and follow it down and you can pivot along the way. See, you don't like this. This one works for you. Maybe you thought you'd like something and you didn't maybe because that's the thing. Sometimes when it comes to sex, we see things on TV or we see things on pornography and we're like, we would like that. And then we actually go into it and we're like, actually, it didn't give us what we thought it was going to give us. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of uh, cisgendered women who go into kink thinking they're submissive because a lot of us have been socialized to be submissive. That's that's really what it is. And they go and they start off in the kink world as a sub. And then over time, as they become more comfortable, they become curious about the more dominate, dominant, like the domination side of it. And I know a lot of women who started out submissive who are actually like, no, I'm a dom. I prefer a dom. This feels more right for me. 
Um, but if they locked themselves into that definition of I'm a sub, they never would have gotten to explore that dominant side of them. I also know a lot of men where it's like cisgendered men where it's similar in the reverse, right? They go into it and they it's expected that they're going to be dominant. And when they get to explore their submissive side, they get to unlock this whole part of them that they didn't even know existed necessarily or like, you know, didn't weren't able to explore in other aspects of their life that you can only explore in the kink space. Mm-hmm. If you go to your work and you're like, I'm a submissive man, I just want you to tell me what to do. You get made fun of. It's like, oh, you don't want to raise them. And it's like, no, there are lots of, of people who like are one place in a workplace, one place with their family, one, uh, like one person with their families and friends. But as soon as you bring them into a kink space, they get to explore all these other possibilities of being. I think that's what it's there for is because you couldn't possibly be, there's just certain things that aren't socially acceptable. You can't act certain ways when you go out into like the quote unquote real world, but you can't hide those things forever. Like, and it's fun. Like these are the type of things, like whether it's healthy or just for an adventure, there are things that you can just do both for, because it is fun to just act out certain things. Absolutely. I think that's part of it, right? You get to play pretend. You don't get to play pretend in your everyday life unless you're maybe an ECE worker, but even then you're still busy getting snack ready, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And you get to pretend for you. Like it's one of those things that there's an element of sex that we need to come back to that you can be selfish in it. Like not in like, oh, I'm selfish. I don't allow another person to orgasm or I don't give another person attention or pleasure, but like you yourself are allowed to have some selfishness to this. This pleasure is for you. Um, I know that we're trying to have a segment on um, like altered states and sex, like psilocybin and CBD and just all of those things. And I was describing some to someone the other day of like why I personally like mushrooms so much. I'm not going to push them on anyone ever, but I discovered mushrooms over the pandemic when I had a lot of spare time. And I was talking to someone about how for me, it allows me to tap into that sense of playfulness, like that imaginative play that I used to experience when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. In my brain, while I'm on mushrooms, I know I'm pretending and I know I'm being silly and I know I'm going on this adventure, but I also allow my brain to go through that creative play and that creative escape. And I think in a similar way for a lot of people, kink also allows you to tap into that same imaginative play side of your brain that we, we lose touch with as we age, as we get imbued with responsibility, as our brains finish developing. I think it's been beaten out of us to tell you the truth, like by just all sorts of things. Like I, I really do believe that the school systems, like how it is structured, there is no possible way for imagination to possibly survive because you're constantly telling it to it's because of standardization. It's like that destroys imagination because imagination is the opposite of that. And it's supposed to be just like on a whim or creative or letting it flow. But when everything's standardized, like this, 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 and this, and you have to answer this specific way, even to your example earlier, your question is, your answer is imaginative and creative people are like no that's not what we were looking for no this could fail yeah yeah so I mean that happens with art as well and once again we're also going to have another we're having a few segments on creativity and like creative imagination and erotic imagination and I know this happens with a lot of people when it comes to their art that they're so focused on trying to get the outcome that matches their brain that they forget that they're allowed to just explore and try and draw stuff and and like explore what that can look like and I think that when it comes into erotic imagination, erotic desire, uh, all of those things that add to like the wellness side of the kinky wellness, people do get lost in the, in the, the result. Like we're Mm. a results driven society. And when you're trying to create a result, you miss, you miss the path, you miss the exploration, you miss the getting the, the being able to adapt 
and and pivot depending on where things take you. You miss the ability to improv. Yeah, there's like that really famous quote. It's like not about the destination. It's about the journey, but it's true. Like as much as it can be corny, like that is the reality of what it is. People, you're right. We do want to just constantly put out. And then we're always worried. Was it good enough? Is it the right thing? Is that what's going to be liked? Is that what's going to, Is does it fit with everybody else's thing? Like we all, we question it and we overthink even the result at the end. Yeah. Anyone who's familiar with the author, Brandon Sanderson, I'm outing myself as a big fucking nerd right now. If you've read the Knight's Radiant, Radiant book, like there's that whole quote, uh, journey before destination. But in that book, it takes on a whole other meaning as well, that it's not just about letting yourself explore the journey. It's about um, the journey is important and you need to be taking every action with integrity. Every action you do needs to be about like something that you believe in, something that that is an act with integrity. And it's not just about letting yourself explore that journey. It is as much about making sure that that journey is a good journey, a true journey, something that that speaks to you and speaks to your moral, like your own personal code of morals and ethics. Yes. And that's the two. Like, I think when it comes to kinky wellness, like a lot of people will think it's bad. It's immoral, like morally gray. But the thing is like life is not black and white and no one actually is being harmed when it's in a consenting setting. Yeah, totally. I just think I, I, the best thing that I love about Kiki wellness is like one, it's definitely healing, but two, we are, you do need something in your life to keep you in that childlike mind state of adventure. Cause you do need joy. This is about joy. This is about pleasure. And we're not in a life or a system I feel that allows a lot of joy because I mean I think that there's certain religious constructs that we've inherited in especially western society mm-hmm. that think that the pursuit of pleasure is inherently immoral and the pursuit of joy is inherently immoral right and we should be denying ourselves pleasure because that's what's going to allow us to reach a higher level of consciousness and I understand not like indulging in every impulse that you have right I get that But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about like ignoring other people and pursuing like selfish pleasure for the the sake of ignoring everyone around you and and becoming a shitty person. Like that's not, that's not what we're talking about leading to. It's more about getting to explore your deepest, fullest self. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. And the honesty level that it comes with which I think is another challenge that it brings in. Like, again, I always say this, like working with your sexual wellness and sexual health is it's not like going to a dentist. It's not like you go into an appointment and then they check your teeth and then they do whatever fixing you need. And then you get out and you're good. Like, this is not like that. So you're going to get, there is going to be pain somewhere along the way, whether you remember a painful thing or an accident happens or a mistake happens but these are things that are part of the healing journey. Like you really are going to experience all feelings and all sorts of things when you go into this type of healing journey. Absolutely. Should we talk a bit more about the retreat itself and what people can, or the the summit and what people can expect from it? Yeah, I'm excited. So I think that people are just really, I what I think and what I hope for is that people really do get a deeper connection to themselves. I really do think that we're going to lay out the tools that they're going to be able to do that with. Cause we have a fantastic group of people coming to the summit this year. So I'm super excited. Yeah. We have so many interesting speakers. And I think that the segments that we've put together have a really great flow. We, we spent quite a lot of time thinking about where each segment should go in order to create the best journey and make sure that people are getting 
different different learning styles will be able to stay engaged for the entire day because these are four full days. This is 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. I think there's a one hour lunch break. Obviously, we take some movement breaks, but we really tried to make sure that there's like learning portions that are like more school style. We're doing things that are based off of your physical body with like yoga and massage. We're doing things that are about specifically tapping into your erotic imagination, but we're also doing educational sessions to give you the information you need to be able to explore safely and really figure out what it is you want to do and, and start doing it. We want you to feel inspired every day to leave and want to have sex. And you know what? I also want people to, for their future self to thank them. This is type of sexual education that we didn't receive. And I think that's what I want to remind people is that this type of education is something that when you come here, these are going to be things that are going to help you in other avenues of your life, not just your sex life. We've got communication classes that's going to help you be able to stand your boundaries, even to yourself. We have exploratory questions that are going to maybe we even you'll shock yourself by what answers come out of you. We might have you thinking about things you're like, huh, I didn't think of that before. That. Yeah. yeah, and I think that I that is very empowering. I, I like the fact that we're doing a lot of kink education in a lot of different ways. This isn't just this is this and that is that, right? We have a lot of different ways that we're looking at and exploring kink and BDSM. And when's the last time you heard of that ever being spoken about in a traditional sex ed class? Never, that's the answer. Yes, that's like, never talked about. Well, I I know I'm talking. I'm opening up with the importance of suffering, guys, and I do think that that is something that we need to acknowledge here. We can't have a life where it's all fun and daisies, suffering, pain, all these like negative quote unquote feelings that we have. It's just part of the flavor of life. So you have to get ready to just taste it and enjoy it in that moment and learning to be like, okay. And there is a difference here. When you are going through pain that's in your control, there's a totally different dynamic to it, a totally different feeling of empowerment. And it doesn't always have to be about pain too. Like we have other sensory plays that we'll talk about as well and different types of play classes that I know that you're leading. And this is about becoming more comfortable in your own skin as well. Absolutely. I think also when it comes to things like conflict resolution or just our own feelings, we tend to avoid negative feelings. Like people think of jealousy as something that is a bad feeling they want to avoid or or they see conflict as like always a bad thing as opposed to an opportunity to learn about themselves, learn how to love better, all of those things. And like jealousy can be a really fun sex tool, mm -hmm. like driving some really interesting exchanges as long as it's coming from a place where you're in control of the jealousy and the jealous feeling and it's not in control of you. And just to go back to like the power of suffering, right? Uh, I'm one of those people where I've never understood why someone would avoid conflict because having a conversation now means that it doesn't turn into a blow up later. And I feel like to bring that metaphor back to like the power of suffering, the power of kinky wellness, all of that, right? Learning how to enjoy a little bit of suffering in the short term is going to lead to less suffering in the long term. And I'm sure you've seen that with your own experience finding kink and and finding the kink community, because there's something to be said for getting to explore a little bit of pain mixed with a little bit of pleasure. Like studies have shown that being involved in the kink community does actually help people redefine their relationship to pain, redefine their relationship to suffering. And that's really interesting because, as you said, it's not all about suffering. It's not all about pain. But that's certainly an aspect of it. And I think that's an aspect that scares certain people and, and also draws in certain people. So I'm really excited for you to have this talk where you're going to really explain, like, what are the benefits of this? And why shouldn't we be afraid of a little bit of pain and also a little bit of pleasure? I think people are equally as afraid of pleasure as they are of pain. 
Yes. Like another, well, a key point of that is that I will go into it deeper too, is the two sides of discipline that you can get out of suffering. So you can put this in a gym context. If you're at a gym and you're suffering through that workout, but you're disciplined enough to follow through with it, even though you have pain, the results on the other end of it, you're going to be satisfied. And we need to be able to put ourselves through things that are tough, but we get out the other side. Because when you have that, when something does happen in your life, that's like, holy shit, that was hard, but I made it out. It gives you that drive of like, okay, well, I've gone through tough moments before. I'm going to get through this tough moment now. And it gives you this kind of resource that you can come in and dive through. So if you keep building that foundation stronger and stronger and stronger, the tougher things that come in your life, they won't, you'll have something to pull back from, which is yourself. At the end of the day, this is all finding reasons for you to be your own energizer bunny. And so you're finding the power inside yourself to just keep going, just keep going for yourself. Yeah. I think the gym metaphor is a really good one. I know that not everyone loves the gym the way that I do, but my two main de-stressing tools are going to the gym and like a solid kinky sex session, right? Yeah. Like they give me the same feeling of relaxation by the time that they're done. So if you're not a gym person, maybe kink is the thing you should be exploring. Well, I, I always say that, like, I just feel like, and sex is something that we should be doing anyways. Like sex is something that, well, like whatever it looks like to you, those things are powerful for you. Like we are supposed to feel sexy. Like actually I went to a party the other day and it was kind of sad in a way, because I asked everybody, like, do you feel sexy? Do you feel sexy? And you know what? Half the party did not. They, you know, this question I thought people were going to be like, yeah, like we're at a good time or this and that. And I just feel like a lot of people don't feel that inside. They just don't. And they were being honest. And I appreciate that. But it's another key point of this is by the end of this wellness, you're going to feel sexy. You're going to be like, yes, I can do this. I am sexy and here are all the reasons why. And, or here are the ways that I can help myself go down a path of where I can feel sexy. A lot of people are so wrapped up in their own physical appearance and how that is the only arbiter that they have of what makes them feel sexy. Not understanding that that feeling of sexiness is actually coming from your brain, your own sense of, um, I'm going to say the word erotic again, because, but it's a very good word, like erotic accomplishment or just erotic imagination or just your, your creative brain, brain space, right? Like, I think a lot of people go to sex clubs and kink spaces because they're trying to feel sexy and they're trying to find it. And it's a great place to learn how there's a lot of like body positive spaces where you can go and realize that like, it's not actually about the body that you're in. That's going to create that feeling. It's about the experiences you're going to have with it. Yes. And what's great about our wellness retreat is that it's online. So you can, you have no choice, like, and it's, you're recorded. So you're going to have access to it one week after the fact. So you really have no option or like excuse to be like, okay, I can watch this from the comfort of my own home. I can take control back on my sexual wellness and sexual health and kinky wellness. And I think this is another thing too, that I want people to understand by coming to this is that you are taking control of it. We have been told a lot of how we should feel about sex and our sexual wellness. We have been given information to ourselves, but we've forgotten that we can take that information, critically think about it. Some of it might work for you and some of it might, because when it comes to sex, it's not, you can't standardize sex. Like it is individual up to the person of how they want to do it and all this jazz and how they feel about it. Even if two people act out the same type of role play, the feelings more or less might be different for each person. And that's what we really want to highlight here is that you can take something and you can work with it in your own way. 
that's also why we have so many different speakers and so many different sessions on so many different topics because, okay, fine. One of the one hour blocks might not speak to you, but there's so many other people coming to talk and there's so many topics we're going to cover. You will learn something about yourself, something you didn't know how to do there. Like this will be a valuable experience no matter what. Yes. And I hope that this is value that people will take and share with their family and friends. I really want this to be something that people go, holy shit, I learned this about myself. I learned that I learned that. And they want to share this information because it really, all of the speakers where we're coming from is a genuine place of where we genuinely want to help people and genuinely Mm -hmm. want people to become healthier in their own sense, because that's the goal. Like we do, it's so broken right now. Like we In sex, you can heal yourself. You can feel stronger, stand up taller, communicate things better. And a lot of it, yeah, always comes back to how you feel about yourself sexually. Absolutely. I'm excited for this wellness retreat as well. And I don't know, even just doing this job, I've learned so many like shocking things that I wish I knew earlier. And what are some of the most shocking things you've learned while you've been a coach? Okay. So I feel like my answer might be different, but uh, for me, I honestly find it shocking how few people know what the clitoris is in terms of like the internal structure. Um, pleasure anatomy is always the number one where I remember learning again about pleasure anatomy when I was in my my certification program, but I knew what the clitoris was. And finding so many people who don't understand that like women's pleasure is rooted in the clitoris primarily and other places secondary, crazy. That's one that I'm like, oh, I thought we knew this already. So it's always flabbergasting to me when I meet people who don't know things that I think are just common knowledge because I've just been so interested in sex for so long. And then you meet people who, who like, this is the first time they're hearing it. So that's, that's, I would say the most shocking thing to me is how little some people actually know because in the age of the internet and porn, you would think that people would know everything. There's too much information out there. People don't know how to sort through it or filter it or even find what they're looking for with all the censorship rules out there. It's hard to find good, useful information. It's like a whole thing. But like, it's, it's wild to me how few people, it's not just men. If I see another joke, like men can't find the clitoris. I know more men who can find the clitoris than women can at that same age, right? Mm-hmm. Because women are told not to explore their bodies and men can at least look at it, assuming that you're straight, cisgendered, all of those, all of those assumptions that I just made. So that would be number one, just like how few people understand that, like, it's not penis and vagina. It's actually penis and clitoris. Yes, that's a valid point. And to you, I have a situation, similar story, I guess. I was in a room, I said the word serotonin, and half the room didn't know what that word meant. And I was like, because it comes up a lot in my work. And I was shocked because I was like, okay. And we start getting into kind of happiness feelings versus sad. And I realized that a lot of people don't talk about happiness or joy or pleasure. Like we really are a culture that's bonded over complaining or like, I'm tired. Well, I'm tired. I hate my job. I hate my job. So we don't really bond over like the more positive aspects of life and joy and things like that. And I was, that to me kind of shocked me about how little we talk about positivity and positivity feelings and positivity chemicals and all that jazz. And if people kind of knew those a little bit more and knew how you could fuel those type of feelings in those chemicals, and it doesn't even have to be within sex. I just mean in general, like a general ballpark viewpoint of this, how we would be able to change those things about ourselves as well. Absolutely. I'm trying to think if there was anything else that was particularly shocking that I discovered along doing this work, but 
I have some like just highlights. Like I know that the, more people are becoming aware of this, but you know, periods being painful and like types of food and how that's in control and menstrual cycles was a big one in general that I didn't, I was not taught about the menstrual cycles. I, it was more like girls get periods, period. Like it was, right, that was just the sentence. Phase, the this phase. I am obsessed with the period tracking things about like, if you're going to do creative work, do it on this phase. And if you're going to be, you know, like uh, the week that you are PMSing, like, and the week that you're on your period, you, you can like, don't be on a diet. It's not going to work. In fact, you'll be hungrier and you'll end up feeding more cravings. So like eat more during that span of time and do low impact workouts. Like all of that stuff. I love it. I can, I cannot get enough content about that. I think that's a big one. And I, for, I think that's a huge one actually, because even with your relationship with people who have PMS and things like that, like my husband actually is starting to learn it as well. Cause we want us both to cycle track and kind of get into a groove of it because he'll be able to register certain feelings and know how to communicate. I would say better with me during those particular cycle phases. And I, I think that's beneficial for everybody. Absolutely. Especially when 50% of the world's population are going to have periods, we should definitely be learning about them. Yeah. I don't know. What other crazy stuff? Like, I feel like maybe they were crazy when I first heard it, but now they're so part of my work. Like I don't even register that they're crazy anymore. But sometimes in this work, I forget that not the average person knows what we know. So I'll say stuff. And then the reactions that I get out of people are actually like shocking to me. I'll be like, wait, you didn't know that? And they'll be like, how would I know that? I'm like, oh, right. I do this for a job. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about when I first entered the kink world when I was working. So the swingers club that I worked at Oasis also is kink nights. There's lots of kinky people who hang out there. So I learned a lot just from being working. Honestly, like that job is the best job I could have had at that age. And so one of the things that I remember learning is like the sub is actually in charge in a kink scene. That was one thing that I learned a lot. Now, I actually have a different opinion on that now than I did then. And I'll talk about this more at the the summit. But, you know, there's this perception that the dom is in charge because they're the one holding the whip in the chain. And so the first thing they teach you is the sub is in charge. They set the limit. When they say stop, you stop. And I now like to say both people are in charge when it comes to setting limits. It's not that you can push each other's limits. It's that the sub is in charge when it comes to saying no and what happens to them in a scene. The Dom is also in charge and gets to set limits on what they are willing to do in a scene. I and know. Anyone can play at any time. I so know. I find, yeah. So that, that phrase, like, I remember being like mind blown, like the sub is in charge. And now I'm like, that's not even true. That's like, that's, that's not a true thing. So my, my more mind blowing is that everyone is responsible for knowing what's happening in a scene, taking responsibility for their, what they're consenting to in that scene and saying no, when they want to say no. Yes. I, that's a huge one too. I feel like on top of that also like things that have definitely changed. So there's like me having sex before BDSM and kink. And then there's me having sex after BDSM and kink. And I feel like there's a clear line because before I didn't give a fuck about health. I can say that much. Like I didn't walk up to people. I didn't ask for health checks. It wasn't really a thing that I really did. Like I kind of just mean SCI checks. Yeah. Like SCI checks and stuff. Like I didn't like you know, you just be like, are you clean? Yeah, sure. And like, you kind of just like go with the flow type deal. Oh yeah, and I, I never use the words clean as a, we'll talk about that. But like yeah. clean is not the word you should be using when you ask someone about their STI status. Continue. Yeah, no, no, no. And then so after getting into this and like, well, like after entering BDSM and kink and then really going up with my career on this, it's just like, how are the basic things that kinky people do like, I almost feel like they should be teaching the health classes in our sex ed, not like some gym t-shirt coming in and giving a health well, thing. I mean, like, 
When you are in Teachers College in Ontario, which is where we both live, teachers get 45 minutes of learning on how to teach sex ed. So they themselves don't even have the level of education I had on this. A lot of schools are not prioritizing bringing in outside speakers. And it's, I mean, I'm not even sure if I'd be the person they bring in as an outside speaker. But all I'm going to say is that like teachers, gym teachers are not the right people to be teaching it if this is not something they have a passion for. I'm not going to say all teachers shouldn't be teaching sex ed. I'm sure there are many capable adults, but a lot of teachers don't even understand their own biases. They haven't taken a SAR, which is a sexual attitude readjustment or reassessment uh, workshop, which is something that you do to like learn your own biases and figure out what it is that you like that you don't know or that you assume about sex and sexuality, your own experiences growing up. And teachers don't have to take that before they teach sex ed, but I had to take that as part of my certification program. And it's just so fascinating to me who we think should be teaching these things to people. That's something that's shocking. We would rather someone who knows nothing but doesn't post any bikini photos to the internet to teach sex ed to our children than experts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think on top of that, even like with the whole bikini thing, I think the most shocking is what I have found or like this is kind of advice that I've given people or just in general, like when you start entering your sexuality and like your sex and like you're confident and all this, the people that are not sexually liberated will have a problem with you. Like for some reason, like whether they, some people like, maybe I see this a lot in the culture of which I have experienced right now or what I'm experiencing right now in my own personal life, but they do have a problem with it because it's threatening and it just seems wrong or something like that. But that's not a reason to shy away from it. You do have to kind of create like a, just be your authentic self. And when you are becoming your authentic self, some people might not like that, but trust the process that you will find people that will be drawn to you and you will find better connections because you will be getting more authentic connections because you're more honest with yourself. Absolutely. I will say just while we're on this topic, that one thing that you do see happen in the kink scene when people start getting involved in making friends is they assume that everyone they meet has all the answers because they're more experienced don't assume that just because someone looks the part means that they have the answers for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's such a good point. Well, I'm, I'm so glad that we covered all these things and I'm excited to do this with you. And yes, I am stoked. Everybody links will be in the podcast and you can always reach out to us if you have questions uh, beforehand, we want to answer everything. And again, if you buy your tickets in advance, they're at a cheaper place. And yes, we're excited to answer all your questions. Amazing. I'll see you all at the summit. Yes. Okay. And for my listeners, I will see you on Wednesday. You guys know what to do. As always, stay kinky.